Imagine that you are in the jungles of Central America and you get injured, you get an infection, the doctors are saying we're going to have to amputate and you are at the prime of your life. And when you're in that hospital, every dream for the future is crushed. And pretty soon you find yourself living back in your parents' basement with no idea what the future holds. That's what happened to my guests, Will Hatton. And what Will did next changed not only his life, but it's changing the lives of millions of people because Will decided, I'm going to put a backpack on and I'm going to go to India and I'm going to go explore the world. So on this episode of Unbeatable, you get a chance to hear from the broke backpacker, my guest, Will Hatton. And guys, before we get into this episode, we're going to talk a lot about travel today. While I'm getting ready to travel, I want to invite you to do some travel with me. We're going to experience Israel like nobody gets a chance to experience Israel. Here's a little information about the unbeatable Holy Land tour coming up in March. Hey, before we get into the interview for this episode, I want to invite you to go with me on the trip of a lifetime. And that is not an exaggeration. I've spent more than the last year building a tour of the Holy Land that never existed before. This is what we're calling the unbeatable adventure, where we're going to repel, we're going to climb cliffs, we're going to ride mountain bikes through the countryside, we're going to swim in the Dead Sea, we're going to climb trails, we're going to spend nights under the stars and spend days in luxury hotel rooms, we'll be in fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee. This is basically everything that you could want to do with action and adventure adventure in Israel, plus all of the world's great historical sites there. And the dates for this trip are March 17th through the 27th. I want to invite you to come along. We built this trip so no matter where you live in the world, all you need to do is buy plane tickets and show up in Israel on day one. And from there, we pay for and we take care of everything. Hey, if this epic tour sounds like something you're interested in, why don't you go over to Signature Tours and search for the Unbeatable Holy Land Adventure with Jeff Struber. Starts March 17th and it runs until the 27th. I would love to see you there with me. And now, let's get into the conversation with the broke backpacker, Will Hatton. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Hey, Will, thank you for being on this episode of Unbeatable with me. My absolute pleasure. I'm very happy to be here. You're joining me from down under. I would say good day, mate, but it's in the it's late at night there and early in the morning here. So I don't even know what the proper uh, you know <laughs> greeting is at 11 o'clock at night in Australia. I guess like good evening, mate, okay. something like that. Well, good evening, mate. And it's a, it's a good day for me. 
Um, hey, man, thank you for spending some time staying up late, crossing time zones and actually the dateline to be able to do this thing together. Um, I'm glad we get a chance to talk because, man, uh, there are parts of your story that I absolutely love. Oh, well, I, dude, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly absolute pleasure to be here. I'm familiar with you and it's it's quite an honor to be here. So thank you for taking the time and for finding me. Much appreciated. Yeah. So um, I'm going to list off a couple of things that you might be familiar with, but most of the audience may not have any knowledge of. I was down in Central America spending lots and lots of time in the jungle, and I was surrounded by everything in the jungle that even looked nice or uh, anything around me wanted to kill me, literally. Yeah. Killer bees and the fertile ant snake and the poison arrow frogs and even the trees themselves, the black palm trees, everything around me seemed to want to kill me um, during those times that I spent in Central America. And you spent some time down in Central America, not far from where I was, and it became a dream crusher for you. Can you tell everybody what what brought yeah. you to Costa Rica first, and then what happened to you in Costa Rica? Yeah, because sure. I, I'd like to start your story in Costa Rica, and then from there, we're just going to travel all over the world today, man. Absolutely, dude. I'm I'm glad that we're starting there because that really is is the place where dreams were crushed and new dreams were made. So uh, my my dream had always been to enter the Royal Marines and to serve, and I was really excited about the personal development opportunities that I perceived that would give me. I was yeah. really really excited about that. So before I began that journey, I went out to Costa Rica, and the goal was to spend ten weeks out there doing a uh, like charity placement where there was a community element, there was a environmental element, and there was a hike element. And during that hike element, we were supposed to be hiking from one side of uh, the country to the Ava, starting at one ocean, ending at the Ava. Very exciting idea. Man, However, it sounds awesome. It sounds awesome. It sounds great. I agree. Until you get but into it, right? It, until I get into it. So like during this adventure, I got really, really, really sick. But because I was young and because I was going to be a Marine, hoorah, I just completely ignored it. Put your head down and and went right through it, right? I thought that was the way to operate. Honestly, I thought thought that was the way to go. Um, And now that I'm a little bit older and a little bit wiser, I I realize that you have got to listen to your body. There's times when you've got to ignore the body and you've got to learn to push through pain. But this, this was not one of those times. I was like seriously, seriously sick, chose to ignore it, ended up literally crawling through the mud in the rain until I made it to this ranger station where upon taking off my boots, we, we realized that like I had a, a serious gnarly leg infection. I then spent some time in a hospital there where they wanted to amputate my leg. In total, I was in hospital for like oh three weeks. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it, wow. It was hor- it was horrible. It was like a it was like a dream ending moment. Um, and at the time, the dream that it ended was my backpacking adventure around Central America. I hadn't even really clocked yet that this this was going to mean I was no longer going to be able to serve. So I got back to the UK. I spent six months living with my parents after like quite dramatically before that moving out from my parents. Yeah. So it really wasn't <laughs> oh, like that was humiliating coming it back was, and having to move back in. 
it was it was a hundred percent humiliating and at that time i was informed that like there was some permanent damage to my leg and like I, there was no way i was going to be able to um be in any of the roles that i had previously been interested in there was, there was a couple of options still open to me but it, it wasn't the action-packed roles that appealed to me so um i kind of had a bit of a mental breakdown at that point like life really looked very unclear very complicated my parents like you know they were doing their best but they were putting a lot of pressure on me to go down career paths that were very unappealing yeah. to me yeah. and uh, i kind of packed it all in and i found myself in india hitchhiking living in train stations living out of a tent and i spent two and a half years there before i wandered on to greener pastures and that was kind of the beginning of my origin story Okay, um, I spent a lot of time in the jungle. It's the first and the only time that I'm in the jungle that I experienced true jungle rot and really uh, got you know a serious infection that could have cost me a limb. And uh, it's the jungle is green, it's lush, it's beautiful. I mean, there's so much nature and so much uh, creation in the jungle that is just spectacular, but it is also very dangerous. And you get an infection in an environment like that, especially a triple canopy jungle like Costa Rica. And if, if you're not careful, that infection will not just cost you a limb. It goes to the bone and they have to amputate, but it'll cost you your life real fast. Um, what did the doctors have to do on this recovery, that six months that you spent in the UK? Oh, man. So again? A big part of the challenge was that I was incorrectly diagnosed. So when I when I was in Costa Rica, it was it was a nasty infection that then managed to get into the bloodstream, and like my whole yeah. leg was like yeah. twice the size it should have been. It was moving past the knee, and that was what really concerned them because once it gets past the knee, it makes the amputation like a lot more complicated. Uh -huh. So they then worked hard to bring it back down below the knee. Luckily, at that point, my insurance company got involved and moved me to a better hospital, and they were able to get it under control. But I came back to the UK, and I, I really struggled for a long time to get it properly diagnosed because I have a pre-existing genetic condition called lymphedema, which I, I didn't know existed. And I didn't know the, what that is. What is lymphedema? Yeah, Basically, everyone's got their lymph system running through their body, uh -huh. which is this like uh, fluid pumping system that moves fluid around into the lymph glands so it can be like dispersed. And my, mine in, in my legs doesn't work so great after this injury because the injury effectively like brought it out much earlier than it would have come out normally. It's normally something that affects older people or people who struggle with like serious weight issues um so it's it's it was very unfortunate that i i had that pre-existing condition and then i had this massive trauma on the limb which brought it out much much earlier i mean it might not even come out at all right um so after after that like i, I now to this day i'm still wearing compression stockings on my leg right and i get up in the morning i put them on and i take them off at the end of the day like i normally do two crossfit classes a day and i'm pretty active i'm pretty fit but i'm still wearing these compression stockings because if i don't my leg will swell to twice its normal size i can't get shoes on i can't get shoes off so obviously that's not ideal for somebody who who wants to serve. It's just it just doesn't doesn't make sense. Well, anybody who's watching this episode on YouTube can see that you're strong, you're healthy, you look like you're fit. And of course, if you're a young guy, you know, in good shape in Costa Rica, no one would ever suspect that you have this pre-existing medical condition. Um, I want to talk about the the 
Royal Marines for just a second yeah. because I know lots of guys and gals that have since their early days just wanted to serve in the military. And some of them never get the chance because of a health problem, some of them because of something in their past. And man, it is crushing. In fact, there's people watching right now or listening that have this dream they've spent their whole lives hoping for, planning for, working towards. And I'd love for you to talk to them for just a second about how radically this impacted you when you were planning for the Royal Marines for a long time. And then all of a sudden yeah. realize there's something wrong with me. I didn't even know it's wrong with me. And even if I recover from this leg injury, I will never be able to pursue my dream because that's so yeah. crushing to some people. It, it absolutely was soul crushing. And I think that I had no plan other than this. And that, that was the challenge, you know, and like, I was a shy kid and I had like a lot of self doubt, but I had figured out pretty early that like by joining the Royal Marines, I would really have the, um, the training and the mentorship, I guess, to craft myself into the person that I wanted to be. I would, I would gain the skills that I needed to gain. I knew I was, I knew I was tough. Like I'm quite a tough person. I'm I'm able I'm able obviously. to push myself through things. Crawling your way out of a Central American <laughs> jungle. Yes, obviously. But I didn't feel I'd had the opportunity to really prove that to anybody, including myself. And I felt that by joining the Marines, I'd have the opportunity to, you know, I was I was very patriotic, especially back in those days. But it crucially it crucially seemed just like a way in which I could better myself in a, in a system that was designed to give young men skills and confidence who maybe are good at pushing themselves, but that's kind of all they have. And I, I felt that that was all I had. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really have anything else going for me other, other than this dream. So to have it stripped away and to suddenly have my mother in, you know, meaning well, really trying hard to convince me to become a primary <laughs> yeah. school teacher. It was like, this is, this is not what I envisioned with my life. This is, this is not what I want to do. So it was, it was a serious U-turn for me. And like, I really, I really struggled with like um, a bit of an identity crisis to be honest, because I'd built myself up in my head as uh, I wasn't kidding myself. I wasn't a Royal Marine, but th that was what I wanted to be. That was what I planned to be. And to suddenly have that taken away, I, I just didn't know what I was going to do with my life, you know? That's exactly where I wanted to go with this. I'm, I, I have this picture of you. I don't know you. I've never really met you before this interview, but I have this image of you in your parents' basement. You know, yeah. <laughs> basically my entire future has just been stripped away from me and I'm injured and I've got no money and no prospects. And as you just said, I didn't have a backup plan. This was my only plan. And now my only plan, my only dream is gone. And mom is telling you, you need to go become a teacher and everything inside of you is screaming. That is a huge mistake. I can't yeah. imagine what it felt like back there at home before you, you, you came up with plan B for, for lack of another term. It was tough. I mean, luckily, um, I had about 300 national geographics that I'd been collecting since I was a kid and just India seemed like the place to be and then a little bit of googling indicated that i could get a two-year visa for india and i was like do you know what let's just go to india for two years and, and we'll figure it out we haven't got to worry about visas we've got a tent we've got a roll mat what else do we need i'm sure okay. we can make it work you know 
this is perfect. I was just, you're reading my mind, Will. I was just <laughs> about to say, what on earth are you thinking if you just hurt yourself severely in Costa Rica, if you're on the mend and your dreams have just been stripped away from you and you decide, I got no money, I got no future, I got no hopes, I'm going to India and I'm just going to go hang out in India and walk around India um, for the next two years like you you got to help me out with the thought process here man honestly what, did, it, what was it, india what was the draw from india besides national geographic magazines i think just it represented so many different cultures all in yeah. one that was so different to anything i'd ever seen and i'm i'm a huge history nerd like almost every book that I read is a history book. I'm, I'm obsessed with military history. I'm obsessed with like far flung, long lost civilizations. That That is, I just love reading about that. So I was like, India, it's full of ruins. It's full of like epic old battle sites yeah. I can visit and yeah. it's cheap. It's cheap. <laughs> I can make it work. You know, if I, I can get by on $10 a day, I can couch surf, I can hitchhike and I uh, certainly endured a style of travel, which at this slightly older age, I would be le less keen to do again, but it was yes, of course. An, an amazing experience. Like it, it really was like, it was tough and obviously very different to being in the Royal Marines. But the thing that was similar about it was it was constantly varied and it was constantly pushing me out of my comfort zone. So I, I kind of got some of the education that I was looking for on the road. Yeah. Uh, you, you, you and I haven't had a chance to talk before this, Will. You may not know this. I've been to India many times. I absolutely love India. I tell people that have never been there or go with me for the first time. India has some of the oldest history in humanity. Yeah. India really does have some of the richest. It probably is the richest culture on the planet, yeah. meaning where you go, there's so much sights and sounds and smells that are unique to India really there's nowhere else like it in the world but india has some huge challenges even if you're very wealthy and you're traveling in style and first class india is not easy so when you left for india tell me what it, uh, how much money you had in the pocket like tell me what the plan was uh when you got ready to to uh leave the uk and head off to one of the old, oldest and richest cultures in the world with absolutely nothing in your back pocket. So I had like 3,200 pounds and I was like, I reckon that can last a year if I, if I'm smart with it. And I, I had recently discovered couch surfing. I'd read, um, Jack Kerouac's book on the road, all about hitchhiking. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to hitchhike. I'm going to couch surf. I'm going to pick up some random jobs on like organic farms. Like I did a few permaculture projects. And then a little bit later into my trip, I figured out that I could buy and sell stuff. And as you know, you've been to India, there is so many like weird and wonderful things that if you can just get them back home, like as, as a broke backpack with no money, I could make like a thousand percent on that stuff. It wasn't a lot of money to me, but like, I was sorry, it wasn't a lot of money like in like real terms, but I can make like a thousand pounds with yeah, stuff I can markup, bring back to the UK. The markup for a little bit of labor in the in India will go a long way. Yeah, a hundred percent. So yeah, I mean, I really felt like India just 
was really the only place that made sense for me at that time. Because I did have a look at a few other destinations. I looked at Thailand. I looked at South America and kind of figured that, like, just with the fact that, like, you tend to get 30-day visas, it would be too too much jumping around, too many visa fees. And I was like, go to India, and if you can survive India, you're going to come out the other side with, with like a whole new skill set. I love your language. It really is about surviving. Even if you went there with a massive bank account, um, people don't. some people don't know what couch surfing is. Most everybody recognizes hitchhiking. So tell us what surviving in India for two years looked like. I mean, mostly it was, uh, I, w- I would say it was 70% amazing. And 30% some of the most challenging experiences that I've like ever had. I mean, um, like sleeping in train stations was tough because people were just so curious. And while some of those people were very friendly, others were less friendly. And you know Uh what? At at three in the morning, I just want to sleep. I'm not (laughs) interested in being sold a samosa. I'm not interested in telling you where I'm from. I just right. want to be left alone. So that was kind of the challenge with India is actually, you know, like people are very curious. And especially if you're in like a little bit more rural India, which often I was, people, people want to know all about you. It's easy to see that you're a foreigner, right? Just yeah. by the way that you look. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was a challenge. And that was very new to me. You know, being from the UK, people are pretty polite. People are pretty reserved. And I, I did encounter some incredible hospitality in india yeah but I, sure. I also encountered some like truly shocking breaking of like politeness norms that i was used to so it, it was definitely a bit of a shock yeah when you say hospitality by the way india is world renowned for yeah. their hospitality and i mean the hospitality industry around the world is heavily impacted by india and the hospitality culture that comes out of there. Just about any, any uh, you know, Western country has uh, their hospitality industry is massively impacted by India. You did a lot of this on foot. So yeah. what was it like physically for you? Because you- Hard. You're, I was gonna say, <laughs> you've got a pre-existing medical condition yeah. and you've, you've got some serious injuries. And I know what the Indian culture, I know what the jungles in the south of India and the desert up in the north of India looks like. What did this feel like for you, man? Yeah, there was a fair bit of walking around, honestly. And like I had quite a lot of stuff on my back because I, I had like a camping stove and I had I had my tent and I had my roll mat and I had my sleeping bag and I had my hiking gear for the mountains. So I was carrying quite a lot of stuff, honestly. Yeah, you're walking around with 35 kilograms worth of weight on your back, huh? It was definitely jangling. You know, it was, it was, a, it was a lot of noise when I was moving around. A lot of walking around, you know, like um, I, I, I enjoy hiking. And I did some, some pretty long hikes whilst I was in India, but I also did quite a few like long unofficial hikes where I'd get stuck waiting to hitch a ride and, and would end up like walking 30 kilometers in the heat wondering if I was going to run out of water before someone picked me up, you know, those kind of situations. Um, and it was, it was tough on me. And especially like, um, I, I had this idea that whilst I was there, I was, you know, going to do burpees, I was going to do calisthenics and I was going to continue to build on the fitness that had been a big part of my like coming of age from like 16 to 18. And it just really wasn't possible. Like, um, it just, it just really wasn't possible whilst I was living the lifestyle I was. So, um, I, I, my fitness kind of like continued to decline 
And that was really hard on me mentally, um, led to like some body image issues, led to like me struggling with self-talk. But on the other hand, I just found India to be the most amazing country for like getting out of my comfort zone. And I was, I was deeply uncomfortable on every level imaginable, (laughs) but that that's how you grow. Right. Yeah, absolutely. What time frame were you in India? Oh, so I was like from 19 through to nearly 22. So okay. I'm 35 yeah. now. It's 2024. 20, well, my maths isn't amazing. Um, it was 2024 minus. So it was Ooh. five or six years ago. No, a long time ago. It was like 15 oh. years ago. Oh, yeah. Okay. 15, 15 years ago. I've been back to India since then, but this was my first like form formative trip. Um, and this was, yeah, 15 years ago. Yeah. 15, 16 years ago. The people that are here that are familiar with India know that it's still a developing country. And 15, 20 years ago, there were a lot of, there weren't a lot of roads. The rail system was heavily traveled, but not that great. Um, not a lot of air travel, man. It was just, a ch- even today, it's still a, ch- a challenge to get around in India, um, but 15, 20 years ago, wow. Um, it very was a different. Huge, a very different country. Yeah, absolutely different. Like, I think um, the so biggest wonder- difference was I didn't even have a phone, right? So I had a physical uh-huh. roadmap of India, and that's how I was <laughs> figuring were, out where I was going. You folding out the map and trying to say, it, where it, am it I was, today? And it where was am huge. I trying to get to um, on a <laughs> yeah. dirt road in the middle yeah. of nowhere, India? Exactly, yes. Um. Obviously, something happened to you while you're in India, and you got the bug, um, the traveling bug. Um, and what I wanted to do with the beginning of this talk is to just set people up to to hear a little bit about what you turn what you turn from being a broke backpacker into an online entrepreneur, kind of a serial business starter, but also a guy who's still helping people travel around the world with minimal money in your pocket. So let's talk about uh, what happened to you while you're in in India and how that's still affecting you today, what you've done. Yeah. So I think it was two parts to that. The first part was I was just so um, excited about the opportunities to like recraft who I was because I really felt like I lost my identity after I was unable to join the Marines. And And being in India, meeting new people, for often quite short encounters gave me the opportunity to to, to experiment with a few different uh-huh. versions of like who I might want to be. Yeah. Um, and the second part was I just realized that like if if you if you're in a country like India and you bring a bit of an entrepreneurial mindset to things, I had the option to not work for someone else uh, as long as I was willing to be uncomfortable and I was willing to not be making loads of money. Um, I could ferry things around the world and I, I could survive doing that with the style of travel that I was doing. And I was just very keen to not work for somebody else at that point in time. Like I felt quite hurt by like the job opportunities that I'd had before that, where I'd been making oh, like wow. minimum wage, you know, and I bought, I bought, I've, I've worked on like a lot of construction sites and I've worked in shops and I've worked in bars and I bought a ton of enthusiasm to the table. I just felt like unvalued and un- underpaid. And I yeah. was like, this doesn't make sense. This just doesn't make sense. Cause I feel like I've got a lot of energy and I feel like I can do better for myself 
um do it doing my own thing so that and then the ability to um to gain these skills to craft my own like personal development to experiment with who i wanted to be i very quickly became very passionate about that and i've all i've always been absolutely in love with writing like i just i just love to write so i started to write this stuff down and i started to give it out to people and it was positively received and i started a little mailing list and it was like 30 people on it and that was positively received and things just kind of grew slowly but surely from there it was slow but it was short you know what uh, okay so you talked a little bit about you know before you get to india and while you're in india you're not able to have the fitness that you wanted you're not yeah. uh you know kind of recrafting yourself into the guy that you really wanted to be and you described it as uh if if this is not your phrase what i heard is kind of self-loathing uh you know down on yeah. yourself because of it when you start writing, what are you writing about? Are you writing about how you feel or are you writing about how the culture is, or how you're being impacted by the culture or are you writing about what you see and what you're experiencing? Because those are two very different kinds yeah. of newsletters, if I heard you correctly. Absolutely. So I think that my goal was to really propel my readers and like drop them in the middle of India, engage all of their senses oh, nice. to make them feel what it was yeah. like. But then also to tell them a little bit about like what I was experiencing. Like I, I think I mentioned earlier, like I had a lot of anxiety. Um, I, I struggled to talk to new people. Um, and I, I felt that it was quite empowering to speak to that in my writing to be like, yo, I'm in the middle of nowhere. No one speaks English in this particular state. Like I'm camping in this old Mughal fortress because the security guard has let me in. And I'm not sure if he should have done and here I am in the middle of nowhere and it's an amazing experience, but I'm also kind of scared. So I, I felt like that was quite an empowering way to, to get that out there. You know, it takes a lot to be a grown man and to say, I'm here, I'm doing this awesome thing, but it's also scary. Um, a lot of men would leave that last part off. Um, and obviously your audience is paying attention. I love the imagery of you're trying to use words to drop them into India, in the middle of India, and let them experience what you're experiencing. Um, how did the how did the thing grow? Because man, the broke backpacker took off. Yeah, it did. It sounds like it really, really took off at some stage. But how did it grow from there? Yeah, so I registered the domain about eleven years ago. And that was when things really kind of started very slowly. I built the site myself, having no idea what I was doing. It was just huge awesome. blocks of text, no images. Um, and as I grew as a traveler, I started to go to places that really didn't have much coverage. Um, a big place that was very important for me was Venezuela. So I went there and, and, and no, nobody had really written anything about Venezuela for a while. So a lot of the coverage that I put out from there went absolutely viral. I had a few other like lucky catches on my journey where I went to places that were really quite far out there which just didn't have any coverage. And when I wrote about my experiences traveling in these far-flung lands, having these experiences, couch surfing with zany characters where they're showing me, you know, stuff that you just wouldn't experience otherwise, yeah, it, it, sure. just, it, just, it just took off. It just grew from there. And it, it was exponential growth. It was absolutely wild, honestly. Um, the 
the size of audience that's watching you, listening to you uh, right now, how many people are connected to the Broke Backpacker? On my on my audience? Yes, your audience. I guess so like we at our peak, we have 1.5 million monthly users. Um, right. And almost all of that was from SEO. Um, yeah. COVID hit us pretty hard. COVID was a, a hard yeah, time because for us. the world stopped traveling, right? And you're you're talking about traveling. Yeah, so we're still we're about we're about a million monthly users uh -huh. a month at the moment, which is pretty great, and we're seeing like some pretty strong upticks. Um, I, I kind of a story that's like a bit of a long story, but I I did really well on Snapchat when I was like going through Pakistan and Iran, hitchhiking through there. But then I made the decision like five six years ago that it just wasn't right for my mental health or really for the kind of person that I wanted to be. So I rage quit Snapchat. And whilst I feel like that was a good decision for me, it was definitely a very poor decision for my business. Yeah, uh, right. So that had an effect for sure. Okay, so when you're writing these articles, are you basically giving people the how-to? If you want to live on $2 a day in Venezuela, here's how you're going to have to do it. Or if you want to be able to make it for a pound a day in um, yeah. Pakistan, here's what it's going to look like. Is that what you're doing? So yeah, I mean, our bread and butter is like our really detailed backpacking guides where we're like, okay, so this is everything you need to know about going to Pakistan. This is how you can do it on $10 a day. This is how we recommend that you have some really cool, engaging local experiences. This is how you get out into I the see. mountains, arming people with the information they need. But honestly, like what, what excites me about writing rather than the info side of it is, is the personal development side of travel. And it's the entrepreneurship slash digital nomad side of that. Like, because I really think that if people have the opportunity to build their own business, it doesn't actually even matter if it's successful or not. I mean, obviously you want it to be successful, but it's such an incredible learning opportunity that you have a chance to recraft how your life is going to go. And I mean, a lot of, a lot of my friends, um, from back home, they are living the same life now that they were living 20 years ago. And I think that there is more to be experienced than that. Um, so being on the road certainly gives you the opportunity not only to like explore yourself, but also like to, to build, to, to build some kind of business, to build some kind of income, to build some kind of skill set. And that's what I'm really excited and passionate about talking about. Obviously, um, or else people wouldn't tune in. Um, and it sounds like when you were in India and other countries, you didn't necessarily just find history and culture and people. You also found a love for the written word. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something that I've always really enjoyed is I'm, I'm a prolific reader. Like normally I'll read two or three books in a week, um, especially when I'm traveling and reading someone else's take on a country, especially if it's a book from like 50 years ago, is yeah. so interesting. And it's a really interesting way to like influence your own writing style you know all right i want you to take us on a journey now you literally have traveled the world um lots of people have dreams of going to travel somewhere but they look at their bank account and they're like i can't do it i don't have the money to do it i want to go to this country so bad and experience this culture so much but i'm broke um you help people do this tell us take us on a journey now of some of the great countries you've already mentioned venezuela iran um india other places but Take us on a journey now of what some of this was like for you or is like for you, I should yeah. say. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, so I think that normally when I'm advising people on like going out there and having these experiences, I, I really just bring it all back down to like, it, it's just about getting out of your comfort zone. And as long as you are willing to push yourself to a place where you're uncomfortable, you don't necessarily have to hitchhike for Iran. If you've never left England, go to Germany, go to the Czech Republic, just, just get out there and do something and be willing to stay with either local people through coach couch surfing or like other homestay experiences or to stay in a hostel. Because I think that unfortunately, a lot of the content that tends to get prioritized by like Instagram algorithms is luxury travel. And it isn't accessible to most people, but also the ironic thing is that a lot of people who are creating luxury travel content aren't actually paying for it. It's all comped. So it's, it's not real, you know? And I think that people have the opportunity to just get out there and have these much more amazing experiences that mean a lot more. Cause when you luxury travel, ultimately there's like a barrier between you and the local people, between you and the local culture. Whereas if you're traveling cheaper, you know, mostly it's pros. There's a couple of cons, but like ultimately that barrier is removed. You were in it. You, you were eating the fried samosas that might well make you sick later. Yeah. You know, you're sitting next to Raj on the bus and he's going to be showing you photos of his goats for the next six hours and you're in it. So you better get excited. You know, you're right. Um, I think there are millions, many hundreds of millions of people that are watching other people's luxury uh, travel on Facebook and Instagram. And they're sitting back and saying, oh, I want to be able to do that so much. The truth is that most people will never be able to afford those kind of luxury yeah. vacations. Um, and even if you saved for many, many years and went on those luxury vacations, I have had a chance to be immersed in the cultures that I've traveled to. Um, stay with the people that are in the culture, eat the food from the people that are in the culture, hang around them, even when we don't share the same language and can't really communicate that well. And I've had a great time. I've also been in very expensive hotels and flown first class. Uh, I didn't buy the first class tickets, but I was upgraded to first class. And I know what that feels like. And I would take the hostels and, you know, the local, I'd take the fried food on the side of the street over the luxury hotels any day, but, but Facebook is not going to put that at the top of their algorithm. You're not going to see people, you know, getting a million likes off of that kind of uh, travel. So there are lots of people that want to experience the culture, but all that they've known, all that they've seen is what is the luxury travel and the enormous price tag that goes along with that help somebody who's saying i want to do this but i don't have a lot of money what do i need to know i think you know what you need to know is that like if you're able to be brave and to go out there and to stay in hostels and to eat local food i think that you can pretty much do any country in the world for like 30 40 dollars a day i've done many countries in the world for 10 dollars a day it's a hundred percent possible there's a few that are more challenging like japan singapore australia new zealand just because they are more expensive the cost but of living in the country yeah. the cost of living is just higher but you'd be amazed i mean if you're if you're happy to do like there's all kinds of networks out there like HelpX, workaway world packers I, i've experienced all of these numerous occasions i've gone on uh, work placements where you work like 20 hours a week you get food and board and you know i know a lot of people might be thinking oh it's on my travels i don't want to work but a lot of the time the projects that you're working on are very cool 
cool projects that really give you the opportunity to like access a local community in a way that you're just, you're just not going to see this stuff otherwise. Yeah. And it doesn't feel a lot like work when you're doing nah. something that's doing good for the people that you're staying with and you're making their life a little bit better and they're paying you a little bit in food or, or in lodging at the same yeah. time. Um, there are some young women that are listening to this and they're saying, okay, I'm not married. Don't have a boyfriend. I'd like to backpack across parts of Asia or Central America, but yeah. I don't know if I feel safe doing that. Sure. What would you I, tell look, those ladies? I understand that. And I, I totally get it. I think there are some countries that are more challenging and more risky. Sadly, India is probably yes, one of them. I was about to say, I would agree with you. Yep. Be careful but there. Like somewhere like Thailand or many parts of Indonesia, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, Nicaragua, Costa Rica. These are all good jumping off points where there are so many backpackers already out there of all ages that you are absolutely going to be able to find your tribe. You're going to be able to find some people you feel safe to travel with. Um, and there's some interesting countries out there. Like Honestly, Iran is a real red herring. They are so terrified of losing a tourist to anything going wrong that you it's a very safe country. Um, so you'd be surprised. And I would say do, do your research before you go. Um, you know, there are some countries like India is kind of the one that springs to mind or some parts of Latin America, like maybe Brazil, parts of Colombia are, are more challenging. And if you're new to backpacking, I would say dip your toe in somewhere like Thailand or Costa yeah. Rica first. Yeah, great advice. Uh, my daughter, when she was finishing school, finishing the university, was considering backpacking for a while across parts of Europe. And I, I said, go for it. Be yeah, smart. Nice. Um, and, and, you know, be careful where you stay and, and where you go, but yeah, sure. I mean, go for it. And, and if you, if there is somebody that you trust, invite them to backpack through, uh, you know, parts of Europe with you. Um, there's a lot of, uh, things that you need to be aware of a lot of things that you need to be, uh, you know, cautious of, but don't let that stop you from following your dreams. I also think that like being on the road allows you to kind of strengthen your intuition muscle. Yeah. And like, you normally can tell if someone's being honest or real with you or versus someone who's being potentially malicious, whether it's trying to get money off of you or overcharge you or, or anything, you can normally tell. And I think something that I've learned, because, you know, I'm British, I'm very polite. So like a lot of the time I've shut down my intuition because of my politeness muscle. And what, I, what I've learned is you should just listen to your intuition because yes. it knows. Uh, that it's fascinating you would say that when I've traveled to foreign countries that I'm not that familiar with the country, sometimes I'll have this little tingling. Um, I don't refer to it as my spider senses because I don't have the Spider-Man spider senses, but I'm no, I don't know anything about this country. I don't know anything about this culture, but I just know that something around me doesn't feel right. And I start to get really, really aware of what's happening around me. It's fascinating that that almost never happens to me in the United States or other countries that I'm very, very familiar with. But when I'm traveling and I have this man, something just doesn't feel right. And I don't even know what, because I'm not that familiar. Sure enough, not long after that, something goes wrong around me. And I'm, I'm like, I don't even know this country. I don't even know the culture, but all I know is something doesn't feel right. And I don't think that's unique to me or you. I really do think that when you're 
aware of, uh, you know, of your environment, eventually you start to notice, like, I don't even know what's wrong, but I just know something feels wrong. So I got to be careful. Absolutely. But I do think that it's worth mentioning that this is something that I think it's, it's quite normal for people to shut this feeling down. Yeah. And it should be the opposite. If you're feeling this, not that you want to lean into anxiety, not that you want to lean into fear mongering, but if you feel that something is wrong, open your eyes, pin your ears back, see what's going on. Yeah. I've taken groups of people with me to like Haiti and India and China. And when that sensation, like, I don't know what it is, but something doesn't feel right. I'll just say, all right, guys, let's jump on the vehicle. Let's go ahead and go. And then they're like, uh, what was up? And I was like, I don't even know what was up. I just felt like yeah. we need to jump in the vehicle and go because it felt like something wasn't going right. And then sure enough, the newspaper reports the next day that somebody was uh, kidnapped in in that little, you know, market yeah. in uh, Port-au-Prince or Campation Haiti. Um, so I didn't even know the country well enough to know that that stuff was, you it, know, honestly, was it's, it's good that you've trained yourself to listen to that. I, yeah. I, th I think that you just avoid a lot of potential problems by doing that. Okay, I cannot help but wonder, there's somebody listening to this broadcast, they are right where you were. And they're saying, I'm working these dead end jobs, I'm giving it everything that I got, I'm enthusiastic, but my boss doesn't notice they don't care. In fact, I feel like I'm in a dead end job. You know what, I'm going to quit my job, I'm going to sell everything I own, I'm going to buy a backpack, and I'm going to go to Thailand. Um, and I want to become an online entrepreneur like Will. Would you give them a little bit of advice on if yeah. they were sitting today where you were when you were working those jobs in the UK, what advice would you start to give them? Yeah, I would say that like first to try to get a little bit organized, you know, things as simple as making sure that you've got like a good bank card, like transfer wise is definitely the one to go for. So that you're not like losing out money on bank fees, making uh -huh. sure you've got the right gear, making sure you've got any medication you've got with you. But you, you touched there on a really interesting point, which is going out to Thailand and building an online career. And this is something that I think is really important to think about. Do you want to earn money so that you are location independent or do you want a specific kind of job because you are passionate about that? So the oh, most that's visible a great question. Yeah. Good question. Like the most visible Say it location again, independent job is travel influencer because they're all over social media. It's also one of the hardest things to be successful at. And if you actually don't have a huge amount of passion for it and don't have the ability to like put together like a unique angle, you're probably not going to be successful. Whereas if you were to do something much more boring, such as like drop shipping scarves from China to England, you could probably make two, two and a half, three thousand dollars a month within six months of working it out. And yeah, it's not sexy, but it is an online career that you can quite quickly turn into a passive income stream that then enables you to live your like dream life. And I've met a lot of people who have kind of gone into the pitfall of thinking, oh, I want to be location independent. I want to have my own income. So the thing I'm going to do is I'm going to be a travel blogger. And it's like, no, you need to really think about that. Like, do you, do you actually want to be yes. a travel blogger or do you want to have the ability to travel? 
Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm glad you're doing this um, because that's what I wanted people to hear. Our audience, the unbeatable audience, the unbeatable army, they're not afraid to take a risk. But if you're not careful, you're taking the right risk for the wrong reason, or you may be taking the wrong risk for the right reason. And sure, maybe you're in a dead-end job. Yes, maybe you need to leave that dead-end job. Maybe there's something that you're passionate about that you should pursue. You can pursue travel. You can pursue uh, your passion while you're traveling. Those two don't necessarily have to be the same thing, but you do have to be able to figure out how to earn enough money to feed yourself um, and provide the basic necessities of life. And if all you're doing is traveling to Thailand because you want to experience the Thai culture, then go for Thailand for the culture. If you're going to Thailand because I want to get away from my dead-end job and my dead-end life, well, you can do that anywhere. And it might even be easier to do that, better for you to do that someplace that's very well established, very well uh, that you that you understand a lot better. So there's a big difference here between I'm going somewhere because I want, I like the culture. I want to experience the culture and I'm going somewhere just to run away from where I'm at right now. A hundred percent. I think another really important thing is to realize that these things take time. So if you, if you want to get out of your current situation and experience a new culture, experience some travel, earn some money as you go, like the easiest option is to teach English. Go and teach English for a year in somewhere like go. Thailand, somewhere like China. And whilst you're doing that, make a point of making friends with people who are doing things other than teaching English so that you can start to become aware of the different options that are out there. Because there are hundreds of options out there. There's only a few that are really visible and well known to most people. And you know, I live in I live in Bali, Indonesia, I have a co working hostel here, we have a, a huge number of online entrepreneurs, digital nomads coming through, I've met some really inspiring people. I've also met quite a lot of people who spend more time filming themselves working than actually working. <laughs> and it, it's it's a pitfall and people have to be aware of it. Like you get people who come out here and they are very excited that they're living the lifestyle, but they're not actually putting in the work to make that lifestyle sustainable. Instead, they are flexing about that lifestyle on social media. And I've got to say, it must be quite humiliating when they run out of money six months later and they have to go home. So I think it's really important to understand that if you're working for yourself, you are your boss, you are your employee, it's hard work. And if, you're, if you haven't got a hard work ethic, like maybe it isn't for you because yeah. it really does require a lot of work. Wow, it's fascinating to hear you, Will, because you're talking right now like the CEOs of Fortune 50 companies. You're talking right now like uh, most employers that I know. Like, listen, man, you can work really hard at looking like you're working hard or you can work really hard at working really hard. Those two are not the same thing. Yeah. And when you're self-employed, your ability to feed yourself and your ability to have a roof over your head when it starts raining comes down to how hard you're working, not how hard it looks like you're working. Yeah. And those two are not the same. You use the phrase digital nomads. What mm -hmm. does that mean for people that are <laughs> unfamiliar with it? 
Uh, a digital nomad is a huge, wide umbrella term, effectively, for anybody who works online and is nomadic, so they don't have to be tied to any one location. And I mean, this, this really en encompasses a huge number of people. So you've got remote workers in there, people who work for big companies, but have managed to get their boss to agree to let them to be remote six months of the year or more or less. You've got freelancers who are working on services like Upwork or Fiverr. Maybe they've got a few regular clients. Clients. And then you've got entrepreneurs, which is where I think everybody should ultimately aim to get to, because this is, this is when you truly control your destiny. But I think it can take time to get there. And if you've got to do some remote work, you've got to do some freelancing, you've got to work for somebody else who is a more established digital nomad um, slash online entrepreneur along the way, then fine. Learn those skills, cut your teeth, figure out what is needed. But I think ultimately the, the goal is, is to build your own business and to take full control of your own destiny. Um, so you are probably more aware of this than I am. Maybe uh, a lot of the listeners, COVID caused a lot of people to work from home. COVID yeah. caused a lot of people who started working from home to say, I don't want to go back to an office or to a factory floor. I want to keep working from home. And COVID also caused a huge percentage of the world's population to say, I don't want to go back to work at all. N not the job that I was doing. I want to do something different. So COVID created what people call the great resignation. People just resigned from their jobs and said, I hated what I was doing. COVID just showed me that I don't have to keep doing it anymore. Now I can do something different. And COVID showed me that I don't have to be tied to a specific chair in a specific office building to do it. But the great resignation has now led to a lot of people filing for bankruptcy because I thought I could just go ahead and launch an online company, an online brand that people would start following me, that I'd get sponsorship and that I'd be able to live like a superstar yeah. on Instagram. And now all of a sudden I'm moving back into my parents' basement. Um, so for those that are aspiring digital nomads that don't know what they're about to get into, you want to give them a couple of pieces of advice or maybe even a warning yeah. or two? Yeah. I mean, it's for first, just to speak to what you said, I feel like that there has been a lot of people who have tried their hand at the digital nomad game and it hasn't worked out for them. Yeah. And maybe, maybe some of them didn't approach it with enough of a plan. Maybe some of them didn't approach it with enough of a work ethic. Maybe some of them were just unlucky. It is difficult if you get out there and you expect it to happen quickly because it really does take some time. And that's why I think it's worth considering doing something like teaching English whilst you establish yourself, learn some skills along the way, find somebody else offer to intern for them like try oh, and find someone advice. who knows yeah. what yeah i mean i've taken a few interns on over the last few years and uh, i've kept them all pretty much all part of my like permanent team now and like i've had hungry people find me and i've shared knowledge and in exchange they've worked hard and have worked for not a huge amount at first and then as they develop their own ideas, there's the opportunity to do joint ventures further down the line. So an, an internship or like an apprenticeship is a good way to go. And a lot of people in the SEO space take on apprentices. So that's something worth considering. I would honestly say like, go to the Chiang Mai SEO conference or go to the Dubai SEO conference, make friends with people and say, look, I am willing to work hard, teach me some stuff. I want to find a mentor. If you asked 10, 15, 20 people, 
I think you'd find someone. So I really think it's a case of getting out there and being aggressive with trying to find people that can teach you the skills. From the point of view of starting your own like online venture, though, I think having a plan is important. I mean, I know it sounds basic, but I've seen a lot of people go oh, in man. without a plan. Yeah, and then the, what, what they end up doing is they end up doing all the stuff that doesn't matter, like redesigning the logo for the fifth time or responding to Instagram DMs or printing out coffee mugs with their, their slogan on it or whatever. This stuff yeah. is not going to move the needle. It might feel good, but it's not going to move the needle. What is going to move the needle is a long caffeinated nights where you are working hard and you are working smart my entire like house is covered in whiteboards i've got like i track all my habits i've got various strategies various ideas on all of my whiteboards everything is super well organized like i i my, my one of my nightmares is losing an idea it's fine if i don't develop an idea but i don't want to lose it so oh, i just think it's very important point. to stay organized well to your point what you've been saying throughout this entire interview is if you really want to do this, it's absolutely possible, but it's going to come with hard work. And yeah. what I hear people, what I hope people are hearing is I better be really, really passionate about this because I really think some of those digital nomads, some of those people that left their job during the work from home phase just said, I don't like what I'm doing, but I don't really care if I do this or that in the future. And if you're going to have to work through those long caffeinated nights, as you said, you better make sure that you love it, because if you don't love it, you're not going to be able to have the endurance to keep doing it week after week, month after month, year after year. But if you love it, you'll eventually be able to learn a little bit and start to get good at it and yeah. you'll be able to handle those long caffeinated nights. I think there's two ways to love it, though, right? So you can love the job that you're doing and what you're building. Or you can love the freedom that it represents. Yeah. And that yeah. kind of goes back to what I was saying before. Like I've, I've done some random things. I had a protein bar company. I've, I've sold hammocks from China. I didn't particularly love either of those things. But they, they represented for me the opportunity to live this location-independent lifestyle. And I loved that. So I was able to get excited about that. All right. But if you're not, if you, if you can't find, if you can't find and access the passion, you're kind of screwed. So, yeah. you, so you've, got, you've got to find a way to, to tap into it one way or another. Yeah. Um, man, there's so much more that I would love to talk to you about. I love Thailand. I love uh, Venezuela. I'd love to have longer conversations with you. But for the sake of time, um, I'm going to bring this one to a close. There's a lot that people can learn from you. Um, there's a lot that you've already just touched on briefly that you have a lot more to say about. So anybody who wants to know more about you, know more about the Back, uh, the Broke Backpacker or even some of your online businesses, uh, where can they go to find out more? Yeah, sure. So the brokebackpacker.com is the website. On Instagram, I am Will Hatton, which is H-A-T-T-O-N underscore underscore. I, I'm not particularly active, but anyone that DMs me will eventually get a response <laughs> it might so take you two years it, but it it will might, eventually... you will eventually get a response and also i'm i'm pretty frequently down at my co-working hostel in bali which is tribal bali so if you find me down there and you beat me at a game of chess or a game of pool you get a free coffee so okay so this me. is a uh, i was going to say here's the challenge if you are interested in starting your journey as a broke backpacker and they want to find you in person, where yeah. do they go to pass through your um, hostel? 
Yeah, well, we're in Changu in Bali. Uh, the website is just Tribal Bali, so easy, easy to find. And I'm normally there Mondays and Thursdays. So Monday and Thursday, hang out, lurk in the corner, and come say hello. <laughs> yeah. All right. We're gonna. Hey, by the way, we're gonna put links to all of these yeah, sites right. and uh, his Instagram channel that you just heard about. But we'll. Man, thank you for being on this episode. Thanks for helping me uh, go back and relive some of those fun moments in the jungles of Central America or <laughs> passing through the deserts and the train stations in India. And man, I hope a lot of people are excited about um, getting out there and seeing the world because of this interview today. Yeah, thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate you. Thank you for your time. I know it's late, so we'll let you go. Have a great night. A good night, mate. Good night, brother. Take care. I love what Will said. He just challenged us. Listen, if you're willing to do the work, if you have if you have the courage to go on an adventure, there's really nothing in the world off limits. There's no place that you can't see and you can't experience. But just be prepared because it might be a lot of hard work. And he said what you'll probably experience is 70% of it is awesome and maybe 30% of it is awful, but it'll leave some memories that you'll never forget. Will got me excited about traveling. And I hope that you are willing now to take on a challenge and go see some place that you've always wanted to go, but just never thought you had the means to do it. Because for you, it always looked like a luxury trip. Hey guys, thank you for joining me for this episode. I hope you really enjoyed getting to know Will. And we have lots and lots of amazing guests like Will that we've interviewed in the past. We have some pretty amazing guests coming up. So if you're not already subscribing to this podcast, why don't you just go ahead and subscribe right there on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform. And we also want you to know that we are regularly sending out content during the week. It is available for free. It is our way of keeping you encouraged. And we call this the Unbeatable Army List. If you want to be part of the Unbeatable Army, just simply go over to unbeatablearmy.com. It's totally free and I will send content directly to your inbox. But you know, you can always stay in touch with us on social media too. If you just search for at Unbeatable Podcast on social media, you're going to find us on just about every platform. You're also going to find people like Benjamin. Ben, you know who you are, and you are our fan of the week this week. Ben, thank you for being so connected. Thank you for staying in touch with everybody else on social media. I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard from Will. And if you want to see him, why don't you just plan a trip to Bali? And who knows, maybe you'll get a chance to learn from him personally. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I'll see you right back here next week. Have a great week, everybody. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable.